Hello, Fox. Hi, Jimmy. How are you? I am excellent. We are here on the season finale of... Where You Are. Where You Are. Season two finale of Where You Are. Two seasons in. I would hope you remember the name. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Last year, what we did at this point was just talk about the season, a little bit about each episode and what we learned from it or what our experience was like with that. Now we're two years in, about 25, 26 episodes, I think, in... Yes, I think we were, no, more than that. I think we had 14 episodes last season, and this one I think we're going to finish out at 16. So, so a little, almost 30 or a little more? About 30, yeah. It's pretty exciting when you think about it. I enjoyed starting this season off with Norman and Regina Golar, mm-hmm. who were some friends of mine from grad school. And we talked about life and COVID. They have two kids. They talked about school and They talked about church and how that operates. And this was back in August of last year. So we really were in quarantine and doing almost everything virtually. Yeah, this year was definitely, this will be remembered as the deepest COVID season that we'll ever have, I think. And that recording was the first to start us off and okay this is the zoom quality we're going to be dealing with this is how i can approach it technically so on and so forth that has been challenging to me because the thing i enjoyed about the podcast when we first started was meeting people in person it was almost like having a blind date it's just that feeling of nervousness mixed with excitement and curiosity because i remember meeting barry that first season over at the art playhouse and the very first episode ever with... With the Birmingham Black Repertory Theater people. Right, who whom we had never met. Right. And then later on, we had people over to the apartment, and that was... I just missed meeting pe- people in person or reconnecting with people in person. But it was not. It's still been nice to be able to have Zoom interviews with people. And I think going forward in season three, I'll probably still incorporate some Zoom interviews, but I would like to get back to doing some interviews in person as well. Right. Right. What do you think about that? Well, you have to remember, we just re-released the Jonathan Sweat episode. So I have looked at some of the earlier work and that Jonathan Sweat episode is definitely better now for me having remastered it. (laughs) I can look back and definitely say there was a learning curve that I was climbing up and making the in-person audio sound good. Not that Zoom is any harder or easier. It just has different limitations and things that I was able to approach. But... I would like to get back to in-person, if only just because I think it's better for my own personal journey and learning. Yeah, I miss that. You know, that's one of the ways that the pandemic changed the way we have to do the podcast. In that interview with Norman and Regina, we talked about how it changed the classroom and how it changed church. And I wonder if you think, what do you think are some lasting changes of COVID? I do think things like Zoom and other video conferencing technologies are here to stay. I can tell you with the job I started in Dolly, Dolly, stop sniffing the microphone. (laughs) They've switched to their conference calls with like project coordinators up north and so on. All of that has switched to those kinds of conferencing in a way that feels like it was always that way. So I don't think those are going away. I think that people like those, if if only just to organize around professionally. I would like the masks to stay around. I honestly think it has done wonders for me, both in terms of, I usually get a cold, like a really bad one, at least twice a year. And I didn't have that happen this year. You didn't. I noticed that. And also, like, from a social anxiety perspective, I like having that level of control of, 
it's another aesthetic choice. I have some nice masks that go with my hair, which my hair's pink now, by the way. Just imagine that, folks. It looks great. Thank you. Um, you don't have to be seeing my mouth because Lord knows I've always had trouble with putting my words together right. So to know that people are looking at the twitching of your mouth and know that you can control that now has been really nice. So I'm hoping that stays around. Well, the there's masks. nothing to stop anyone from continuing to wearing masks. True. It's now it will there will be some baseline of acceptance at least from <laughs> some groups mm -hmm. i do worry it will remain a political indicator yes that's unfortunate mm -hmm. i like it as a fashion choice i've heard a lot of discussion about what people think are going to be really long lasting maybe even devastating effects on education in terms of the way it's delivered and I'm not sure that we're going to be seeing vast migrations to virtual learning. I'm sure it will be integrated more than it was before, and more people are willing to teach online than were before. But I'm just not convinced. Having gone through this, I think a lot of people understand the importance of being in person for an education. Now, there are a lot of people who can do it online, and that's great. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of students who really need that that interaction. They've told me that. So. Right. I think the jury's still out on whether or not this is going to be significantly changing education in terms of the way it's delivered. If it were to do that, it would be in service of powers beyond the teacher, and I don't think it would be for the best of the education. So if I, if I see that happening, I'm, I'm expecting essentially the equivalent of union resistance. Definitely. Mm -hmm. The next interview that we did this year was with Tom Whitaker, Grew up in the same place as me, and he was fighting brain cancer. That is in remission, or you know, he's doing really great with that, and he's thriving. And I see him on social media. You know, has he returned to his nature walks? I don't know if he has anything planned, but it looks like he's having a great time. I know his sister just had a baby, and there's lots of good things going on for Tom. And what I loved about that interview. It was really one of my favorites is the vulnerability that he showed, the honesty that he showed and opening up and being willing to talk about that. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't just about his cancer. It really, it really was about a lot of other things, growing up gay in Alabama, traveling and moving to California, living in different places. I think that Tom is one of the most interesting people we've, we've had on the podcast. I really enjoyed that interview. The most I can say is just go back and listen, because he's a joy to listen to in terms of a personality, in terms of audio quality. I liked his voice. He also helped me connect or reconnect with home and place, because being with him and, and his mom, and then my mom was there too in the other room, listening back to him and the the sound of his voice and his accent and everything, it really does root me in, in my home place. You know, home for me is a little town in North Alabama called Hugh Laco, Alabama. There's something very emotional about the connection to home for me and place. Mm -hmm. That place up there, that area is very much like a soul place for me. Like I can go and kind of get back in touch with who I am, whatever that is. Do you have that feeling about any particular place? Is there like a home place for you? Well, it's funny you mention that because, you know, I did grow up in a very different realm than you did. I was in metropolitan area in the suburbs of D.C., and the last time I went there was probably a good five years ago. And I distinctly remember 
the most at peace, like reconnecting with a location moment I had was sitting in the Barnes and Noble where I used to hide between the graphic novel stands, just reading through the trade paperbacks. I did that and felt a resonance with that, but it was also tinged with an impermanence because I knew that that Barnes and Noble was going to be torn down soon and they'd already put up condos where there used to be a vacant lot across the street. So there was a flux, there was a change for the place that I knew was no longer going to be there, but I was finding connection within that as well. I used to spend so many hours at bookstores up in Huntsville. When I was a teenager, I would drive. There was a place called Bookstar, which I think was affiliated with Borders, even though we didn't have a Borders in Alabama. I would be in the philosophy section reading books, or I'd be in the sexuality section reading books, or... I loved bookstores, and that's definitely something. Talk about lasting changes. Mm -hmm. That's something that's changed over time. As I look at the comic-related stuff I want to discuss on my other podcast, The Audio Parlor, um, one thing I do think I want to capture is a bit of how that experience was for me, getting into comics at that particular point in time, because it's not the way the previous generation did. I know that from talking on Facebook groups, and it's not the way the next generation will either. I spent literally hours just going through not the single issues, but the collections on the Barnes & Noble bookshelves, which is a really unique configuration compared to what the previous generation did. But I was also an extensive wiki trawler, so that's just something I want to capture there, because comic book Wikipedia archival is not what it used to be. And for, whether for good or worse, I don't know which, but it's interesting. So after Tom, we moved on to Obe and talk about the importance of Zoom interviews. He is in Bangkok. Mm -hmm. So that was the only way I was able to talk to him. He's a virologist. Back then I was saying virologist, but I have since learned over this past year that it's virologist. Right. I think the point gets across still. And he, we did talk about COVID and the science behind it and possible vaccinations and things like that and why they were doing so much better than we were in terms of handling the pandemic in Thailand. But the thing that I loved about that interview was at the end of it, he was talking about movies that he had seen because he loves movies and he was doing reviews of some Disney movies and mm -hmm. some question had come up in a film that he was had seen and he asked that question of like... Had he seen Soul yet? Was that it? I don't think it was Soul, but he really, he asked a question that we then started asking everybody else that was on the podcast. What is it with you, in you, that stays, if anything, that stays constant? Are you still that five-year-old that 10 year old, that 15 year old, or is that part of you dead? Or, or how does it inform who you are now? And of course, you at 26, those things are closer to you than they are to me at 46. So I often wonder what it is that I carry with me. Humor is one of the things I know I carry with me. Anxiety, unfortunately, is one of the things I carry with me. I've, I do better now than I used to. I think I have a sort of passion for things, certain things that I can get passionately involved in certain things. What about you? What stays with you? Is there anything that's constant for you? Oh, you know, you've asked, I think this is the third time you've asked me this, and I'm sure I'm giving, I'm giving a different answer each time. Um, honestly, if I may go on a brief thing for a second, I wonder about that. I do think that things about our personalities are a little less permanent than we'd like to take them for granted, but I think that's a discussion that's needing to be had in the public discourse these days and is being increasingly had in a queer way. Mm-hmm. We watched that episode of RuPaul's Drag Race last night, and Got Mick, a trans man, is doing very well in the competition. She reached the top four. We're, we're using she pronouns because she is a drag queen, and she's presenting as feminine within her persona. And I was really struck by the idea that, like, 
a lot of trans people both presented on that show and presented in real life, we tend to focus so heavily on the transition and like, there's things about their old life that they don't want to take as that permanence. They don't want to hold in their soul. They need to move on to something different. And that, it, and that is so deeply tied to their gender. Uh, got, got Mick. They talked a lot about, about her transition, but it was also acknowledged that the transition was a part of Got Mick's journey. Like the fact that they went through such a change that can be as much a part of whatever's in your soul, whatever the journey you've taken as much as, Oh, trying to find some static thing to point to. And I think that's a really interesting thing that both queer and straight audiences could stand and engage with a bit more. Does that make any sense? Sure. Okay. No, I mean, I think it's interesting. I think we're talking about different things, but possibly, I mean, I wrote down in my notes identity for each one of these interviews. I was trying to think of some theme that came up and definitely I think that gets to identity and what is identity when I think of that question, I think of things like my mom used to always tell me I was very impatient. Right. And I was. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm impatient anymore. Like I'm talking about there are things I never would have pictured myself as a teacher. I never wanted to be a teacher. I wouldn't have thought of it. Uh, I didn't think I wanted to go to grad school. I didn't think I wanted to, I wanted to be an actor when I was younger. Right. Right. I don't know. I'm thinking about do I feel familiar with myself or do I feel like a stranger to myself? Do you know what I mean? Like I can reminisce and remember who I was at 16. I'm not that person anymore, but is there, was there something there that's still with me? I just, I, I, I guess I'm asking the same thing more than once, but yeah, I'm just throwing my thoughts out there. This is something I'll just keep pondering. There's no pat answer to it. It's just a consideration, a rumination, a, me- a meditation. And I can throw whatever words I want about it, but it's not captured as easily as one might think. Right. No, of course not. I mean, identity is a, is not. You know, one of the things I think that when I was your age, when I was in my early 20s, that I was fascinated with was how much does your sexuality define you as a person? Right. Or, or and does it and of course it does in some way I don't, I don't even know what it means to be defined but uh, there was a point in my life where it seemed really important to me to not just be defined by one thing or maybe nothing at all i have no idea it's an important thing to consider for everybody especially for queer people i think yes because we so often being in a minority group have someone else pointing to us and using that as if not a unique signifier then certainly as a prominent one when it may not capture a full thing or give us the effects that we want. You know what I liked about what Gottmik said on the last, the latest episode of, of RuPaul was uh-huh. that she'd been so concerned about how she represents her community or whatever. And she said that perhaps the best way to represent her community was to be herself, which in doing, I think, in the context shows that there are a variety there, that not all trans people are the same. I think that was her point. Right. And I have mixed feelings about that. From from her saying that, I absolutely agree with with everything she's trying to get across. With the show presenting that, I do think it sticks to an individuality that reinforces what that show's always been, which has always been representation. It's always been putting up a personality. I don't know that that same approach is universal in the sense of like, trans people in the U.S., trans people in the U.K. have some very real material legal issues that are not going to be solved just by representing your unique self but for as far as that particular kind of show is willing to go yes that's absolutely 
she needs to be presenting herself as an individual and as a part of a greater trans community. Yes. So after we could go on and on and on about that, but after sure. we were with O, we talked to Stacy Beam, who's another person from my hometown. He now lives in Nashville. He's a very successful artist. He has his own studio. And we talked about art during COVID and the power of creativity and the power of art in our lives. Because during lockdown and during the time when even when we weren't specifically on lockdown as heavily as we were in the beginning, music, television, all of these things, art, reading, I think people understood even more how important they can be. Now, a lot of people, I think, find it just as an escape. But I think in art and literature and film and music that it's more than just escape. So I love talking to Stacy. I still follow him on Facebook. He, he does Facebook lives where he's painting. He's like Bob Ross. And I felt that interview was really all about creativity, also about connection and the power that music and art have to, to bring people together. We talked to Quentin Harrison, who is a writer, and he does music reviews. And he's written, he has actually a series of books on different pop diva females like... Um, he had a lot to say about Mariah. Mariah Carey. That was mostly my fault because I love Mariah Carey. So we talked about her. Donna Summer, Madonna, these are people he's written about. The Spice Girls. So he's got these, it's called something Redux, I can't remember, but it's in that bro that uh, original broadcast. It's a series of books mm -hmm. where he, they're coffee table books, sort of. Yeah. But he does discographies and of their entire, he basically reviews their entire career up to the point of the book that he's written. So it's really good stuff. I enjoyed talking to Quentin, but we also ended up talking about uh, race and America and what it is to be an American. And this became a running theme in season two that might have turned off some people. Maybe. I hope not, because I'm just being honest and frankly vulnerable by saying, so, I think I've said a lot this season that I don't really know. I don't consider myself an American necessarily. I don't know what that means anymore. I, I It's like questioning God, right? I'm questioning my country. I think that's totally okay for me to do that. I've been doing it for years, but talking to Quentin really opened up a conversation about race and this country that I've enjoyed talking about with other people on the podcast as well. There was a metaphor he used I kind of want to push a little bit forward into the present day at this moment. He, he talked a lot about progressivism and social justice and in the maintaining of a society as being very much an active, ongoing project. He he referred to the tending of a garden. Yes, and I love that. Go ahead. I'm glad you brought that up. There's a, a need to consider political engagement as not something which is done once or twice a year at a voting booth, where it needs to be something that is more currently and ongoingly engaged with it's it's a muscle it's it's a marathon that you run yeah and, and you, you train for and to really work through his metaphor as we did during that interview i think he even joked about it but the idea that you can have good seasons and bad seasons because i think historic historically we tend to believe or a lot of us tend to believe that there's this just con constant progression towards perfection right and what his point was and and then you get disappointed because that's not the truth and you see that but just because you have a he, when thinking of it as a season really helped me understand that, okay, then you just have to cultivate differently, right? You have to cultivate some new things. You have to change some things. You have to have some different nutrients in the soil or whatever, a new crop, whatever it is, that sometimes 
it's not a straight progression. No. So we're in a bad season, I think, as Americans. I'll say this. I don't know that anybody listens enough to have formed some kind of opinion of my opinion on America. I don't know if they're paying attention or not, but I'll say this about America. I think ultimately how I feel is everyone has a country because that's, well, most of us have a country because that's where we're born, right? So I guess it's almost like a family. I didn't choose the family I was born into, although I love my mom and I'm glad I was born into that family. I didn't choose which country I was born into, but I can't accept lies about anything or mythology as truth. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think America is what a lot of people think it is. I'm here and I want to make the most of it and I want to improve it while I'm here if I can. Am I unpatriotic? I'm a patriotic. Mm. Does that make sense? Like, I'm just interested in making things better. I'm not anti-American. I'm Mm pro-truth. That's what I am. I understand. And justice and trying to figure things out and make things better. What do you say? Are you patriotic? It's funny you ask because at one point on a trip to Germany... Uh, another student on the trip who was very explicitly and proudly like he was on like a gi bill type thing he'd done his military service and now was in school and he approached me at some point was like oh you're really anti-american huh and i was like i this is my first time leaving america how can i how can i claim to love what has constantly been my context like it's it's like saying you love the taste of your own spit right it's, I don't know, I I may have lost a track there. I did want to circle back with the seasons. I thought then, and I do think now that that kind of metaphor can lack a little bit in that it can lend itself to like um, a cyclical fatalism. Because that, that's an idea I grew up with in my family a lot of there's ebbs and flows. Things can be bad, but everything's basically fine, which is a very privileged and protected way of... I see things the other way. Things can be good, but basically they're bad. <laughs> right. I, I was brought up being reinforced constantly with the idea of it's fine. We're just we're going to deal with our own stuff and it'll sort itself out. And I don't know that it'll sort itself. I out. think a lot of people feel that way about politics, that it's it'll work itself out. Things so things are going to get better. Mm-hmm. Progressively, things will get wet, better. You know, a lot of the times when I read about anti-abolitionists who who were not necessarily pro-slavery, but they were anti-abolitionists. They basically just thought, well, that's eventually going to, slavery is eventually going to be abolished. Right. It's eventually going to go away. Uh, Eventually is a long time for people who are suffering. Right. And And I think that's true about anything that needs to change in America or any belief about anything politically. Eventually is a long time for some people. And it's. That is definitely privilege. Eventually is, yeah, it's a comfort when you're not dealing with it directly. Right. Mm Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what's so frustrating is when things change and you live through it and like 20 years after the fact. It's just treated as the same background static. Right. It's annoying. Um, After Quentin, we moved on to my niece, Chelsea Freeman Long, who I love, and Lily Haley, who was a former student of mine. And what I loved about that interview, they weren't together. We did two interviews in one podcast. It's both, you know, young people in their 20s seeking what they want to do with the rest of their lives basically i know chelsea finally finished her degree and she's going into the music business hopefully and lily is talking about going into advertising and she's currently working i i think that's an exciting time of life i i don't know how much i buy into i know everyone's not experience is not the same in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s i don't know how much i buy into that decade story of our lives but the 20s definitely are 
for me were a time of exploration of insecurity mm-hmm. of starting out so I, I enjoyed talking to lily and chelsea i i love keeping up with people and seeing how their lives change especially you know chelsea i've known since she was a teensy weensy little baby i remember when they brought her home what do you think your 20 how would you define your 20s so far i think it was a moment of awakening i think at any point if i if i died tomorrow if i died 50 years from now you would take the 2016 election and demark it as a before and after point for everything about me and i think it's been a a time of awakening politically i think it's been a time of cementing powers that i hadn't had up till that point i learned to drive which that was really late I set up finances in a way that were unconceivable to me before that point. It, there has absolutely been exploration, and then I've needed and searched for that. But I'd, it also has been a point of trying to put down stability while, while questioning what that stability is. I, we live in a society, and I try, <laughs> I try to keep myself safe within that society while also trying to figure out, can I do better now? Can I do better later with this foundation? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the next person that we talked to was Janina Nobles, who is a coworker of mine. And she also talked about how she had changed over her life, the things that she had done in her 20s and 30s, and how she ended up in the career that she's in. The thing I enjoyed about working, talking to um, Janina is we have a very natural way of talking to each other. She's a really close friend of mine from work. And that always, uh, I actually ended up with several people that I know from work on the podcast this season, because not because I work with them and I'm trying to in some way promote them or whatever. I genuinely think they're very interesting people and I've enjoyed working with them because we have great conversations at work. It makes me realize how many uh, important friendships I've had that I gained through the workplace. Mm-hmm. Is that happening for you? I'm in a far more masculine field. I'm also in a very small department and a very small research group. Uh, And also I'm starting this job in COVID when we're all having to keep distance. So I can't really say that. I actually, I saw an old colleague, I'll say, from graduate school recently. And part of that interaction, which I won't get into detail with, just kind of reminded me of how yeah, he's still that guy. And I have to make choices about how I interact with him based around that. Because sometimes people in my field, they can be perfectly nice. And then they show their color and you're like, oh, that's right. I'm not safe talking about this. So that's all I have to say at the moment. I'm also 26. And having been in grad school, I'm in a completely different space in my career. Right. I just... Remember, and of course, I'd love being able to talk to you about it because I know everyone's experience is not the same. Mm-hmm. I remember so many people that I have found to be so important in my life came even for, through working retail. I remember when I worked at Bath and Body Works, there are still people I know that changed my life that I, that I have really good friendships with. Or when I worked up in Connecticut, there are people I still keep in touch with there. People who just really made my life richer and more enjoyable you know and I, I guess the same thing happens a similar thing happens in school one of the reasons i loved one of the reasons i love retail by the way was that you did meet so many people and you formed really nice connections with them 
But school, college especially, was another place where I met a lot of really cool people. The next podcast guest Mm -hmm. that we had was someone who's also young, Tiana Tate, who started in 1956 the uh, magazine at the University of Alabama that celebrates, quote, black excellence, culture, and students. And we talked to her about her vision for that and how she got it started. And I love talking to her because those kinds of people always inspire me. I'm always got some kind of project I want to do or whatever. And I'm glad that I did. I'm doing the podcast because that's one project that I, you know, carried through with. Mm-hmm. But so often I think we want to do things, but a lot of us don't feel we don't exactly know how to make it happen. And she really I love that that she made that happen along with other people, that magazine. I thought she had a really interesting story. Do you remember that interview? What did you think about Tiana Tate? I think more or less the same things I thought before. I thought for an undergraduate, knowing the misdirection and undirection of any powers I had at the time, I thought she'd accomplished a great thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really cool. And then we talked to Misty Haynes, another coworker of mine, and she talked a lot about things that have happened in her life. And the thing I love about Misty is she really inspires me at work to want to do more in the community. She had, she was responsible for a fundraising drive for the victims of the hurricane that hit Texas a few years ago. Right. Eventually there were truckloads of things that they sent out there. And she inspired me a lot to try. I'm trying right now to get an imagination library chapter started Mm -hmm. in Walker County where we teach. And so Misty's helping me with that and several other people at work are helping me with that. So that's a project that I hope to get going because I love Dolly Parton, as we all know, but and that's a program she's used to help boost literacy across the country and elsewhere, yes. right? Yeah, the Imagination Library sends a book a month to children zero to five mm-hmm. in the area that, you know, wherever it is. And it's all over the world now. And it really is something they get a book every month with their name on it. And if you form a local chapter, you have to put up about, I think it's like $2 a book. So there's a lot of fundraising involved. Right. And then the Imagination Library, that foundation covers the vast majority of the costs. Mm-hmm. But Misty inspires me in that way that I, she shows me how you can you can work with others to get something done, you know, and I, and I, I really appreciate her for that. We moved on to talk to Sam Badger, who's I think maybe the first politician we've talked to. He ran for city council representative, District 5. He did not win. No. He's 19. He ran against Kip Tyner, who's been in that seat since 1990-something. And Kip won by a vast majority. But I think Sam Badger put up a good fight, and I thought it was really cool that what he was doing. As awful as it can be to acknowledge anything of it, the level of harassment that he described coming off of that, if anything, just indicates that he was perceived as a threat. And I think that given what he was trying to get across just with a local position, that's a really powerful thing to hear in Alabama. Yeah, I'll go ahead and say this, since it's this is not specifically targeted towards Sam or Kip, this episode, right? It, right. It's, it's billed as a retrospective, a look back at the season. I'm going to say this situated here around the 36-minute mark, sure. so maybe it won't cause a controversy if I say this. Sure. I think Kip Tyner handled that really poorly. And especially the people who support Kip Tyner, but he as a quote leader should have told his followers not to turn on a 19 year old who was trying to do something positive in his community. I did not like the way they handled that. I didn't see all of it. I'm sure Sam knows more, obviously, because he was the recipient of it. But there were quite a 
there were two specific instances of Facebook harassment Mm -hmm. from Kip Tyner followers who would go over to Sam's page and sort of passive aggressively harass him and then go back to Kip's page and say, well, I'm over here doing... It was very childish. Yes. And they were all much older than him. And I just think it was inappropriate. It was very inappropriate. And he's right. He would often say that Kip's side, it was all about personality. Mm -hmm. It was all about support me. I've been doing this. I've been doing that. On his side, it really was about listening to the people in Alberta City and trying to get things done that they wanted to get done. I'm not saying Kip doesn't do that. But the campaign itself... Kip Tyner was, I think, tacky at the very least, and I didn't like the way his supporters, some of his supporters, handled it. Right. But he won, and that's fine. Fair and square, he won. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I'm I'm proud of, of Sam Badger, and I'm glad that we had him on the podcast. I'm proud of what he did, and I hope that he continues to pursue a career or to pursue that area of his life. I don't know if it's career, but to pursue politics in the sense that he's trying to help communities and help people, not build up his own image. So I enjoyed talking to him. I thought it was, I thought it went really well. I don't know how many other politicians I would want to have on. Like, It was a unique perspective in that case. His, his youth might have had some diluting yeah. effect that we appreciated. It was that that stood out to me the most, the fact that someone so young was willing to go through this process of canvassing and still being in school, but then getting through with his classes and going and knocking on doors in the middle of a pandemic and mm-hmm. having the nerve to talk to strangers and and to go up against an incumbent who's been in there for mm-hmm. 30 years or whatever. That's the real thing that appealed to me. Because at the end of the day, this is a human interest podcast. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. We, right. It was a really interesting story to tell. So as politicians go, I guess I'm more interested in their stories. And that would be what would attract me to them to be on the podcast. So after Sam, we went even younger. A lot of young people on the show this year. I'm and hip, I think that's good. I'm cool. I'm young. <laughs> I had on my friend Robbie and Mandy's, their son. He has a YouTube channel called Vacated. And I talked to him. He's 15 years old. And t- that was a lot of, that was very interesting and fun. And he was so smart. And I loved hearing about his creative process with YouTube. And that whole world of YouTube is just something that's a little foreign to me. I, I, but Hi, hello, card-carrying <laughs> member. What did you think about that interview? Was there anything about that interview that stands out to you? Mostly just, it was a very it-me feeling, (laughs) editing through that, because he would talk about these things, and I'm like, yes, yes, I've heard this with so many creators I follow, and with my own efforts trying to keep this podcast going, and, and keep my own thing, get my own off the ground again, like, it was one creative to another, as much as we can find any authenticity and validity in that being yes i see you (laughs) yeah i enjoyed that interview and then after that we moved on to ashley harlan kitchens who is another teacher in the community college system here in alabama and i really enjoyed talking to her and getting to know her and hearing her ideas about what she does in the classroom that was very inspirational to me i think a lot about my philosophy of teaching and the way i approach it and it's always fun to me to talk to people that i respect and admire as teachers and figure out how they handle things and how they create assignments even and how they deal with COVID and how they deal with technology and how they deal with students. Mm -hmm. We had some really fun conversations after we stopped recording as well. Yeah. Some behind the scenes talk. (laughs) You might be teaching soon. Am I right? This is true. Yes. My department has suggested that I might end up teaching one of two classes, possibly in I don't think it's the summer. I think it's going to be the fall before that happens. 
Uh, they're still working a lot of the politic and nuance of that out, but no, it's very possible, yes. Good. Mm-hmm. I think that would be exciting. I think that the guy who is in charge of setting up that schedule has seen my hair and reacted positively, and I think at that point there's nothing else stopping me. I'm a qualified person to do it. I think in academia you can get away with hair coloring more often, especially in the humanities. Sure. I guess it's different in science, but... I mean, if I were to expect any resistance, it would be for that. But at the same time, like, I mean, I've had this talk with a student that I'm mentoring within my research work as well. I'm doing it in a professional space where I have sussed out that it is acceptable. And a lot of the professional spaces that this department lends itself to when people go into industry would not be acceptable of that. And if someone were to point that out, I would would agree with them. (laughs) I wonder why it's considered unprofessional in certain contexts. I wonder what it is that people freak out so much about when it comes to hair color. Why is pink hair such a, why could it be a problem for people? There's a gendered aspect. Uh, A lot of spaces that, especially that one that I worked in before this job, they would not have responded well to it. And it's because you have to be presenting as a masculine figure to be given respect by people that you need to be giving commands to. There is that. I agree with you. But Mm -hmm. even if you're you're a woman Mm -hmm. and you dye your hair pink or purple or blue or whatever, there's still... Aside from the gendered aspect, there's still a social thing happening. An expectation, a norm. I'm not really sure what it is. We saw a woman with blue hair in one of these jobs just on the street and someone said something about it. So I I know for a fact that it's still the case. And then in that case, it was less of, oh, she's being feminine and more just, oh, she's different. Oh, she must think yada, yada, yada. Like he he made all these assumptions about her based off of her hair. And I really think it's just because it's outside of a comfortable normalcy paradigm. Well, I think people should dye their hair if they want to dye their hair, tattoo their skin if they want to tattoo their skin, pierce, dress however they want to. Dolly, P, you can sniff microphones all day if you want to. Our final interview, our final episode this year was the remastering of Jonathan Sweat. But before that, the last interview of the year was Natalia Winters, who I really admire. She works at my college. She's not an instructor. She She's a mentor, really, is what she is to a lot of students. She also talks a lot about her social media platform. She has a great presence on Instagram. She does a live video there, usually on Saturday, but sometimes on Sunday, also called Cue the Confetti. Mm-hmm. I just watched one yesterday a little bit when I was shopping. I was in my car, and I happened to see the update. So I, st- I, you know, I sat in the parking lot and watched. She had a woman on who was talking about mental health, especially in the Black community. I encourage every, everyone to check out Natalia, especially on Instagram. Her her handle or whatever you call it is healing is the goal. Healing is the goal. She's really great. And I enjoyed having her on. There's my Southern accent. I enjoyed having her on my editing bay too. Yes. So now we've talked about the season. We've talked about a lot of the themes that came up and questions that came up. In the last several minutes that we have, I do want to talk about creative ventures that we're both interested in. I'm going to, starting Monday, when this podcast goes out to the world, Mm -hmm. I am releasing the podcast, and then I'm taking four months off Mm -hmm. of social media. And the podcast, obviously, won't start back up until August. So season three will come in August. And I want to spend that four months, for one, definitely thinking about the podcast in season three and any changes that I might want to make, getting new artwork, 
getting a new theme song. That stuff really excites me. Mm-hmm. But maybe even changes, additions or changes to the podcast. I'd love to have, I just watched this interview that Oprah did at Spago uh-huh. in 1987 with Donna Mills mm-hmm. and Lonnie Anderson and Debbie Allen. And they were just sitting at Spago's having a conversation about everything. You just, like girl talk, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I thought, well, how much fun would that be to just sit around? But with a podcast, when you have more than two people, there does seem to be me to come that time where it's a little confusing about who's talking now. Well, when you're working along, it's not exactly one dimensional, but you're there's only one signal reaching the audience. You do need to have a little bit of a clear delineation just for continuity's sake. You don't have the visual indicators anymore. But I would hate to be listening to a conversation every time someone new spoke. And Fox is speaking now. And this is Jimmy. This is <laughs> Natalia. That would probably drive me. So anyway, there are just things that I want to do. I, who knows? I want to do the podcast. This is my mental goal. I want to do the podcast for at least five years. Okay. I don't want to stop it after two. I don't want to stop it after three. I want to do it for five years because I feel like in my mind, for whatever reason, that gives me a lot of time to grow and figure things out. And I think something new can grow out of it after five years. But I think if I stick to it for five years and let it evolve and change and learn from it and just do it, mm-hmm. I just feel like, I don't know why I've got that stuck in my head, but I want to do it for five years at least. I'll be 50. Mm-hmm. And even if that means I have to get new editors or whatever, if you get sick of editing, that's fine. But I want it to grow. I want it to change. I want it to improve. Yeah. And I don't know. From the beginning, I've said it's not about getting listeners. Mm-hmm. I'm so thankful that there are people who listen. I really... I can't tell you how thankful I am, mm-hmm. but I really just want to, like I said, I want to have conversations with people that are meaningful, that I get something out of it. The other person gets something out of it. And hopefully if you're listening, you get something out of it. That's my simple, simple goal with this, right? Yeah. But that's going forward. And I, I, I'm I'm excited about that, but I'm hoping during those four months to maybe meditate some more, take some personal retreats here and there, maybe write a short story or some poems or you know, whatever, yeah. do some creative things. I'm thinking that if I can get out of the headspace for a little while, I'm not anti-social media or anti-technology. But you need breaks. Yeah, and I think, you know, in the old days, I, I miss the days of, I remember when you were in, when I was in school when I was young, there were two seasons. There was school and then there was summer. Mm-hmm. And when you go away for the summer, even though I lived in a very small town, I did not see all of my classmates on a regular basis during the summer. Mm-hmm. So then when you come back, it's like this renewal. It's like a you know, things have changed. It's a new start. I like the idea of going away from the social interaction for a little while that social media provides. I like going away for a little while. Right. The idea of refreshing and then having something to look forward to. I'm coming back in August. You know, what will I learn during that time? Maybe I'll just, as I said on my Facebook post, maybe I'll just work my way through the entire Little Debbie inventory (laughs) and watch the rest of Knott's Landing. Or maybe I'll something, whatever happens though, I just want to do it. I just want to take four months off. That's what I have planned Mm -hmm. for, you know, after this podcast season ends. Mm -hmm. What about you? What are your plans creatively? Creatively, I'm going to throw myself fully back into the audio parlor. It's time. I, the fire interrupted things and I've just let life overwhelm me. I had a new job. I had the fire, like a lot changed, but it it just fills me so much excitement to come back to that. I've already got two full episodes continuing on Triplicate Girls stuff, basically all recorded, and I just need to edit now. I have ideas I want to talk about. A Peter Sellers movie you and I watched that one time being there. I think there's something connecting that to a more modern movie. There's a lesson still to be learned there. 
one of the Triplicate Girl episodes, I talk about the writer Jim Shooter, and he's a very controversial figure, but I only really know his career at, at either end, the beginning and end, outside of the controversy and the business side of it. So I really want to approach him from his multiple facets. And Jeff Johns, there's there's so much to say about Jeff Johns. Uh, there's some works of his I want to look at. A friend of mine listened to the Indigo episode, which is still my proudest at this point, and was like, oh, that really reminds me of this Kid Loki story. And I'm like, well, that was that's by an author I really like. Let's look at that and see if we can do something with that. And you know, I have that Word document. I just, I keep having ideas. And I really, I've got an order of at least five that I know I want to execute very soon. That's exciting. I can't wait for your next podcasts to release. I also really want to get back to Asheville, North Carolina, which just for some reason has always called to me over the last decade or maybe even a little bit longer. I've gone there at least three times a year. This past year, I haven't been because of COVID. So I want to get up there soon, hopefully before the summer semester starts and just be, you know, I love the mountains. I, I really want to just journal and I also love to shop when I go to Asheville. I'm not going to lie. I love the thrift stores up there. So I'd like to do a little traveling now that I'm vaccinated and there's some things opening up, but I want to be careful as well. Sure. So I'm hoping by the time we come back in August that we're in a much better place with the pandemic. And I'm hoping that we have lots of episodes of the audio parlor from you to listen to over the summer, at least two. At least two. I'm hoping for five or six. We'll see. And that's something to look forward to. And, you know... We'll see what happens over the next four months. It'll be exciting. It'll be interesting. And I guess that's a wrap for season two of Where, Where You, you are. are. I'd like to thank the Art Play program and Drew Romanowski. For all they did in helping us get off the ground. Yeah. And all the people who were in that class, from Sonia, you know, Sam. Carla. Carla. I can't remember everybody, but that's an example of a program that does things that really helps people both individually and as communities, I think. I think they're doing really cool things at Art Play. And we really wouldn't be doing this if we hadn't taken that class. I don't, but we needed to get into a context and meet some people who were like, okay, holistically, this is how you approach this. And so I would say to anybody out there who's listening, if you want to do a podcast, and I encourage people to do it, I know there are jokes about people doing podcasts. But I think it's a great way to explore the world around you, to share your creativity, like as Fox is doing, to share your gifts, to share other people's gifts. And I think there's just so much potential. All right. Well, I have enjoyed this. Dolly is sitting at staring in my face. So Fox and I are sitting in the floor in the in the bedroom here with the mics. Because this is the most soundproof room we have in this tiny little apartment that we got after the fire. Mm-hmm. Dolly is sitting on the microphone. bed, yawning into the microphone, staring at me with her little pointy ear, her big pointy ears. She obviously wants something. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go get my juices filled up. What? For four months. Where you are. A good podcast that I've enjoyed. Thank you. We'll talk to you in four months. All right, Dolly, let's go get a treat. Where You Are was created by Jimmy Ellenberg and edited by Fox Williams. Our intro is Small Piano from the Ant Hill album by Patricia Taxon. All music was used with permission. The views expressed in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution for which I have ever worked or will ever work. Thanks for listening. Have a nice day wherever you are.